Welcome to season three. Hello. Hello, my love. Good morning, Miss Tiro. How are you? I'm well. Good morning. It's been a minute. <laughs> it really has, hasn't it? Are you home now? I am not home in New York, but I am home in Rhode Island. As in Brown home. So I live a little bit off campus with some friends. Are you staying there for the holiday or you're going to come home? No, I finished up finals two days ago. So these past two days have just been a lot of last minute wrapping everything up and trying to make sure that everything is okay before I go home for winter break. Right. Like and, and you also might want to make sure that the water is just running a little tiny bit a drip. Yes. Our landlord just texted us and saying, hey, make sure you leave the heat on 60 when you're gone. So, yep. <laughs> My daughter, well, she's living in the, it's like the off-campus, you know, housing. Mm -hmm. And they got that mm. message from the campus people, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, yeah, no burst pipes. Junior fall? She's a junior fall. Well, yeah, well, now she's a junior spring. <laughs> ooh. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel real. No, it doesn't. So she's got two years possibly three if she decides to do the plus one program we'll know in a couple months if she's gonna go for that that's exciting i know hello and welcome to change for the better the power of arts in education episode 37 change for the better and the music made me strong now i'm changed for the better you were there for me are well into our third season and today's episode features our first alum from the class of 2019 it's crazy <laughs> you know it's funny because I wanted to do this like post-college people but you're almost there so I thought it was interesting to get that perspective of somebody just on the cusp of moving into adulthood to see what you're thinking at this point in your journey. So I remember this beautiful person as a wonderful blend of brains, talent, and just genuine goodness. I mean, if you just look at him, his face, it's just, it's just good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sweet and kind, whose optimism was both infectious and in a way healing. And even on his not so good days, he brought this bright light into the spaces that he occupied. He embodied all of the qualities that makes working with students fun and exciting. He had curiosity, a deep love of learning anything in general, and this endlessly creative inner spirit that I just loved to tap into. He saw beauty and wonder in the arts, and he immersed himself in everything that the studio had to offer. As a high school dance and theater director, it's sometimes a challenge to inspire young men to enter the studio, to be vulnerable and to tap into that creative part of themselves. Usually, 
all it takes is one good experience on the stage and then they're hooked. <laughs> this young man came to thespians in the beginning of his sophomore year and he never left. <laughs> the dance room was this increasingly attractive place to him with each new experience. And between the dance classes and dance club and thespians, he found this passion for the performing arts and a home in that creative studio environment. Every year, he discovered new abilities. And by his senior year, he was performing and choreographing with fluidity, excitement, and sometimes abandon. The ideal for an arts teacher is when a student comes to you raw and undeveloped, no experience, and then you watch them take ownership of their creativity and their talent years later. Now, he is a senior at Brown University, finishing his studies in, let me make sure I have this right, cell and molecular biology and Africana studies with an emphasis on black music history. Ugh, amazing. And as in Spring Valley High School, he has immersed himself in Brown in activities that really feed his passions and his interests. For example, he is the board chair of the Brown Concert Agency who puts on the largest scholastic music festival there. He is the co-president of the Caribbean Students Association. He is a research assistant at the Wessel Lab. He is a teacher's assistant for various biology classes at Brown and most notably to me, captain of the Oja Modern African Dance Company Club. It's a company. Oja started around six years ago. Mm. When I personally took over Oja, I think we had less than 10 members at the time as like with COVID and all that and the crazy years and hard to like transition from like in-person to virtual dance camp. We we're struggling a bit, but when I took over around two years now, my big thing was that I needed freshmen and sophomores to join the club. So I basically went and found every single freshman and sophomore who I saw dancing at parties, at events at Brown. And I was like, you know, this thing called Oja, we need you. Now we're solidly, I think last I checked, we're 23 members and this spring we'll be having our first Oja show. We've had collaboration shows with people, but we've never had a show that was an Oja show and a Oja like cultural showing different types of dances that we do. We've never had one of those. So we're very, very excited. You take the term multifaceted to so many new levels <laughs> and embracing all of the amazing parts of you that ignite your passions. So excited to hear about all of this. Could you please tell our audience your name, the year that you graduated, and a little bit more about what you do now? Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so thankful for Miss Tiro and all she has done for me over the years and just been an inspiration. I literally wrote a 10-page paper on you once. Are you serious? Yes. I wrote it about um what the space of thespians and being in those musicals and different shows meant to me and how those are really 
the things that kept me grounded the first semester at Brown. So as Ms. Tiro said, I'm a senior here at Brown and I study Africana studies and cell and molecular biology. And it's kind of funny to even say Africana studies first because uh, cell and mo was the first thing coming from Spring Valley High School. I really loved science and I loved English and I loved, I just loved everything that related to the classroom and the act of learning and just filling my mind more. Coming to Brown, I learned that the learning that I was doing was not simply in the classroom and it was with everybody that I was meeting and every interaction that I was having ever. So I really wanted to hone in on that and use every single person and every single moment at this school as a way to build on the person that I am and the person that I, I aim to be. So as Ms. Tiro said, I do a lot of Brown. I love over committing to things because I think it pushes me to reach a new limit in anything that I can do. I've done and held many jobs at this school and many different leadership and mentorship roles, but I'll just list a couple. So I'm a teacher's assistant, which is probably one of the most important things for me for Bio 200, which is an introductory biology course, which is kind of one of the classes that re weeds people out of being pre-med. As a lover of science, I want to like make sure that people are not scared by just the first class and just have people to inspire them. Through being a teacher's assistant for that bio class, I went on to become a teacher's assistant for bio 210, bio 280, which is biochemistry, which is <laughs> very, very hard. And then bio 2300. It's a mix of grad students and advanced undergrads, but I serve as an undergrad TA for the course as I took it as a junior and I did really well and I really liked the professor. Outside of my STEM academics, I'm the chair of Brown Concert Agency. We put on the largest scholastic music festival. The festival goes back many years. Over the years, we've had Martin Luther King Jr. Even though he's not a musician, he did give a speech and was a part of our spring weekend. We've had Bob Dylan, uh, Ella Fitzgerald. Most recently, we had Thames. Ari Lennox, uh, Amare. We've had very great acts. And this year, as we're putting together for next spring, I'm very excited about that. So what else do I do? <laughs> A uh, lot, apparently. <laughs> do you sleep? Enough. Um, I've learned this year more than ever, my body can no longer handle all-nighters mm -hmm. five nights a week and three hours of sleep for the most part. I've actively put more into making sure that I sleep because like you cannot do anything unless you're rested mm -hmm. and your brain cannot work if you're not rested. Last year, junior is the year at Brown that like people say everyone disappears, but personally I didn't disappear. I was doing a little bit too much, specifically junior fall. I would say it was my hardest semester at Brown because I was doing all of these extracurriculars at the same time as taking five very difficult classes. And most people at Brown, I think over 80% take four classes a semester. But that semester, I decided I wanted to take five because I just wanted to finish as many requirements as I wanted. Mm -hmm. And while that semester was very, very hard, I left it with A's in all classes. I took three bio courses, physics, and a psychology course. Got A's in all of them. All my extracurriculars were under control and not too bad. And everything just worked out that semester. So your goal, your thoughts are 
med school doctor that area yes i think it's very weird now being on the other side and i'm that's why i'm so happy that we're we're doing this right now because uh, a lot of my my thinking this semester and just this year in general has been around who I am currently who I was and who I want to become funny enough the day before you reached out and asked if I wanted to be on this podcast I was looking through my old records and just looking over who I was in high school and how I got to who I am now at Brown and has like, wow, how was I a part of Thespians, Key Club, Superintendent's Conference Circle, National Honor Society and all those honor society in high school. And now here I am on the other side, like, okay, that wasn't too bad. And now I look at my schedule and what I do in the day now. And I'm like, how am I doing more than I did when I was in high school? It's one thing if you're overloading yourself with things that are really hard and that you don't really love doing. That I can see being super stressful and draining. But you seem to have filled your hours, your days with things that you just love and have passion for. And so when you do that, even though it's it takes a lot of energy and it could be exhausting, you don't have the mental drain that you would if you were doing like a nine to five job, 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours a week of something you just don't love. So I think that there's a smart thinking way to what you're doing and what you've always done is just immersing yourself in the stuff that energizes you and you connecting with people. That's always been a thing for you. Yeah. When you look back, you go, how did I do all that? But you do it because you love it. And by the way, I want a copy of that paper. Yes, you'll 100% get a copy. I'll send it to you right after. I want that. I want to cry. (laughs) Let's get into these questions. Using your nearly adult brain, describe your adolescent self. Who was teenage Roshane? Teenage Roshane. He was very driven, I will say. Goal-oriented, very optimistic, eager, curious, and driven. Would you say that that is who you are still? Yes. The levels of those and which ones are more like important to me have shifted. My optimism is still a very important part of who I am and my outlook on the world and on what I can achieve and what I believe the people around me and the, and people in general and humans as a race are capable of functioning, I think, I have a very optimistic view on it and don't believe that like as much as at times it feels like the world is headed towards this space of just doom and we're just going more and more away from like the utopian society that I wish we lived in. When I look at people and I meet somebody new, I don't view them as a part of the people pushing us towards there. I view it as like I view everyone that I come across or most people that I meet as like another person that is able to like push the human race towards this thing that I think we're all capable of doing in the end. What I find is even, you know, total strangers, when you, when you walk up to them and you just smile and you engage them and say a kind word or greeting, something nice, sometimes it completely changes Mm -hmm. their whole demeanor. 
when you look at the internet, you know, it's easy to fall into the trap of, oh my God, the world is coming to an end. And I think there are a lot of things that make existing in our society really difficult. Yes. But I do like the idea that we can look into a person's eyes and find a connection with them where on the internet, it would be a completely different experience. I, I think your your quest to like connect with people is a well-conceived one. I think even in my quest to connect with people mm-hmm. in coming to Brown and this world that is completely different than the world of Spring Valley and anything I've ever experienced before, it's made vigilancy a very important part of who I am. So even in my optimism, I have to know that though I want to believe that every single person I come across is this person who has good in them and a person who always has good intentions, that is sadly not the case. For example, this one job that I had at Brown was the largest student-run organization on the campus called the Mickle John Program. Our job was to advise freshmen. So every first year that comes into Brown is assigned a Mickle John peer advisor. And as the leader of this program, I was in charge of going through and reviewing hundreds of applications, interviewing people, and then peering these advisors, peer advisors with faculty advisors and also freshmen to advise. Sadly, in working with this program, I was left with a lot of racialized trauma. When you work with a lot of people who are just used to being rich, white, and wealthy and not viewing people who are not rich, white, and wealthy as deserving of being in spaces with them or simply viewing you as a person before viewing you as a person who is not rich, white, and wealthy, you come away with a lot of trauma and You're expected at times to always be the voice of people who are not the rich, white, and wealthy. And that is a lot of baggage on someone or like a lot, a big expectation of someone. And I'm very happy that during my time in those spaces, I was able to be that voice for these people. But at the same time, I know what it caused me and the, the the labor it took to do that and the amount of energy. I remember the going back and forth where I had to like educate somebody on why saying that you wouldn't give somebody a job because they're Black is racist or why saying that you only want a certain type of person in this job is like elitist and exclusionary to like people who do not have the same opportunities as you. It's exhausting for me to hear these stories and I hear them over and over and over and over again. I just cannot fathom being in the headspace of somebody who that is directed towards. And, you know, working where I work and doing what I do and I see the inequities all day, every single day. And there are some times when I have to check some of my thoughts, like the the assumption of, oh, you know, you should do this or you should have that or whatever. And I'm like, nope, nope, they just don't. But to be in the position of having to constantly educate or re-educate mm-hmm. some stranger or some person who just doesn't know, doesn't get it, doesn't want to get it, which is another challenge, I'm sure. 
Yeah, especially being at a place like Brown where this is one of the top institutions in the world. In order to get into Brown, you have to go through a rigorous process. In order to stay in Brown, you take very rigorous classes. And the people in that job that I mentioned were not people who were not doing well at Brown. Specifically, the person who said the thing about not accepting someone because they're not like them. This person was a triple concentrator at Brown, which less than 10% of people at this school do, meaning they would be graduating with three degrees at once. After that, they're currently in the United Kingdom doing a master's at Oxford for two years before they will be going on to Harvard Law School to receive their JD. So this is a person who is very well educated, but even in their well education, these type of biases are the things that they feel comfortable saying in rooms with people who are not stupid. Like when you say something like that, my ability to be optimistic in the type of thinking that is going through your brain is lessening. And and this person is someday going to become a world leader or leader of yeah. something big. And they are carrying that bias with them into those spaces instead of educating or re-educating people in those spaces. They're just going to continue to perpetuate those systemic problems. Yes. Well, that's probably a a conversation this, this could go on and on and on and on and on. But I am going to redirect us back to your adolescent self Mm. because I like that optimism. (laughs) It's a more happy place, so to speak. What was something that happened in the studio, in thespians and dance club, dance classes, that helped you to manage or to regulate your adolescent self? Well, I remember my sophomore year of high school was the first year I became a a freshman year. I was more so in the crew of thespians. And I loved being a part of the crew, but I remember after seeing Aida and just seeing how beautiful performing could be and how putting together a show that the like process and the rigor and everything and the hard work and dedication and the team mentality that goes into putting on a good production. I fell in love with it. Cast won me over and cast member forever. 721, you know, but, um, Specifically, something that happened that like changed me or like grounded me and showed me the type of person who I was or who I aimed to be was sophomore year when I ripped my meniscus uh, while in gym. I still remember the morning I had gone to school and slipped in gym. The floors are freshly waxed and I was just, oh no. But I remember when I went to the doctor's appointments, all I could think about was how was I going to be in the show and how was I going to like not be on stage while being on stage? My doctor, his name was Dr. Gaines. He was just like, well, man, here's the thing to tell you. Possibly the way the surgery works is you'll probably be fine because you're young, but also still a surgery. What I recommend is if you can show up and just like sit on the stage, do it. And I'm so thankful for you, Ms. Tiro. For and like all the other cast members at the time who just really wanted me to like feel like I belonged even 
though like I couldn't be my full self I couldn't do the like tall kicks and nice work if you can get it. I couldn't be like my full Rashane but just being there as Rashane having the ability to like sit on the stage and be a part of that scene it made me know that like my presence in that organization and my presence in that space was like more than what I could do to exist within the space was important enough and was what you and everybody else around me cared about I I think that showed me the type of organizations I should be a part of it shouldn't be something that like when I'm not there it feels like my presence doesn't matter it's not something that when I'm in the room and I say something people don't care about it it's a place that my presence and what I'm able to contribute by just being there is respected and cherished yeah now that you mention it and because a lot of things happened over yes. this time. But I, I remember that now. And I remember you coming in, I think it was with a big, you know, knee brace and limping along. I was like, yes. <laughs> I was heartbroken for you first. Cause I knew, I mean, from rehearsals, I knew how much you wanted this. And then for me, I was like, I just lost one of my best dancers. Oh no, what do we do? But, you know, show must go on and we always figure it out. I knew that you just needed to be there and I needed you to be there because even even sitting down, you know, doing this, you brought an energy to the space that was essential. And I'm certain that that is what you do for every organization that you contribute to now. So taking all of the wonderful experiences that you clearly had, tell me some of the lessons that you learned then in the studio that you think about or use today. One thing that I use today definitely is being a part of the Thespian board. So I was vice president my senior year. For junior year, I was a part of Taps and Bells. Mm -hmm. I was the president of that. From there... I learned what it means to work and run for an organization and be expected to answer questions for people, even when you still have the real adults to like be our backup and like our advisors, but people really trusting you to be the one to answer and represent your organization. Now, running the concert agency where we put on the largest scholastic music festival in April, a lot of people expect me to be able to answer for questions. And when you're in college, it's different when you're running organizations rather than high school, where even though you're expected to like be the president and show up and have an idea about what's always going on, when you're in college, you are what's going on. So it's not enough to just know that your budget for something is $500,000 you have to be able to answer for that. So specifically for the the music agency, our budget is half a million dollars to put on the whole concert. Six artists putting together the stage, ordering the, the food trucks and everything that is needed for that music festival, I'm expected to know. Now that that is my job, I think about what it meant before when I was in high school, just simply making sure that we got you and other advisors gifts and what it meant to 
collect that money and make sure that like it's well allotted and people are are good with the type of gifts that we use their money to get. So now the stakes are a lot higher because half a million dollars is half a million dollars. And I have to answer to more than just the student body. I have to answer to the student activities office, the people who run there, different deans of the college. If there's a cent missing that doesn't seem like it went in the right place, I have to be able to answer to that when someone from the finance board asks, oh, why did you decide to spend this instead of this? Those responsibilities and knowing that. (laughs) Yes. I'm aware of budgeting. Scary. And it's funny because normally my uh, producers are the ones that sign the checks and but I'm always like checking and like okay where are we like can can we do this is this going to be okay like <laughs> or do we need to put this money somewhere else and it's all it's a lot to think about but you're right when you are at the top of an organization it is more than just what people see on the surface it's those extra hours it's the last minute email from an artist saying hey i know i agreed to play for you guys for 70,000 but now I want 75K or else I'm not doing the show. And now you're like short 5K for this person. And you have to figure out how to do that when you still have three more acts to do and making those tough decisions where in this moment, I know you want your 70K and we love you. We would love to have you, but we don't have that. And just taking the risk of negotiating with someone of an artist stature that like has over a million or like over 5 million Spotify listeners, you you have to feel comfortable and strongly and going to them and being like, Hey, you're not getting this 70 K. So it's either you take the 65 K that I'm giving you right now, or that 65 K will go to someone that is not you. And negotiating is tough to have the confidence in your own position and your authority to say, you know, yay or nay on something that's a really big deal. And you're not like a seasoned adult. (laughs) Like talking to people who are either they're a lot older than you and more experienced or their management team is. Yes. Well, good for you. (laughs) I don't know that I'd have the stomach to do that. (laughs) You know, I have the stomach, but it's been working so far. How have you changed since you graduated from high school? This is always the hard one. Honestly, I think the same core values that I had in high school, the basics of who Shane was in high school, the same like on fire and ready to take on any task and team player, but also willing to go the extra mile by himself if his team is not able to. That's still me, but like now an even more intense version. Yes. Before coming to Brown, when I did stuff before, I thought, oh, I was just doing this because I enjoyed it. But now that the stakes are a lot higher and when small things that you do start to have larger returns, it goes from you believing that you're just doing this thing because you're good at it to you doing things, not because you're merely good at it, but because your past is showing what your future is capable of. Mm. When people see this job that you did or this budget that you applied for for something gets approved. For example, the Michael John program that I used to work for, though we had over 300 peer advisors, it was not a paid program. 
So it was not the most equitable program in terms of the representation that was in the program for our peer advisors. So when I joined, I wanted to increase what the diversity of the program looked like and make sure that like people like me had the option of having advisors that looked like them. So last year, my big thing was that how can a program claim to want to be equitable and not pay their people who are doing the labor for them? From there, me and the other leaders, we wanted to get the program paid. So that meant that I had to go and figure out once again how to do that budgeting. And from there, I was able to get funding at a stipend for $250 for the whole year. But I knew that was not enough. And so it was from getting that $250 per person that I was able to go and negotiate even further and get that $250 to $500 per semester. So now each person gets paid $1,000, which brought the payment from 250 for a whole year per person to now the program going from a funding of 30000 to now over $300,000. That's a lot. That's a big jump. Where did so, that money come from? There's a lot of money in these places. I've learned to not take no. And if one person says no, you go above their head. Ask somebody else. Yes. When I Google Brown University, I see an endowment of many billion dollars. There's money there. Some of that money can be redistributed to make sure that the people with less money leave this place with some kind of money. Good work. And another thing is before when I was in high school too, things like politics and I had political views in high school, but I think my political views at the time are not as developed. I didn't really know what I stood for outside of what my parents and my friends around me were saying. So now that I'm in a space where when I do my readings, I'm able to make real decisions. And when I read the theories of W.E. Du Bois and read what he says about double consciousness and the double-sided veil and things like that, I'm able to apply that to my life and what I see and actively make that into what I think I should believe or what I want to believe or what I do believe. You know, the more you see, the more complicated things do get, that is true, but it can nuance and layer your perspective. And then you can be more discerning about the thoughts that you have, where you put your energy. You gave that example of recognizing the inequity of pay in a job that was probably working to make more money for the school, you know, by bringing in people and nurturing them, retaining students by feeling supported and bringing, say, a more diverse base of people. And it's like, we're saying these words over and over and over again. It almost seems ridiculous to have to keep saying it. I know we have to keep saying it, but we've been saying it for a long time. And like, it's like, we're still doing this. Like we're still having to do it this way to bring more equity in, into instead of, you know, give everybody that level playing field, however we need to do it. But college right now is a crazy time to think about this because, uh, and what is going on right now with like the Supreme Court where we've already seen what they did with Roe v. Wade. Yeah. And now that they're going towards thinking about programs like affirmative action and you'll be on campus and you'll hear someone say something this one day I 
I don't want to make this all about the trauma because like I love my experience at Brown and like I've I've had a lot of fun here and if I could do it again I would do it again like come through Brown and I I've been gifted with a lot of resources and I know for a fact that there's not many places I could have gone through and gotten the same amount of like resources and it's good to acknowledge that but it's also to acknowledge that with those resources I've also had people come to me and make assumptions once I was just sitting with my friends and this person came up to me and thought it was okay to say all the black people I've met at Brown have been quite wealthier than me so therefore they don't deserve to go here how is that what you got from see this is what this is what I'm saying like imagine you're just sitting there and just having a good time with your friends and now someone places you in the position where you have to like it's either you're choosing to ignore this person or you have to stand up for your whole race and every single black person that goes to the school and they're kind of expecting you to now argue for why poor black people are not the only black people who deserve to go to brown how do you get to even that place how do you even get to that like mindset to even have such a thinking well it's generational right (laughs) this is what's passed down from one generation to the next and with nothing to interrupt that cycle in their personal community if their school district or their school system or their state although maybe that's a little too broad a generalization but if everything that they're surrounded by and everyone that they're surrounded by have that attitude how is it wrong to them how is it wrong and that's just a function of not being with living with going to school with people who are different in any way, shape, or form. So knowing what you know now at your ripe young age of 22? 21. 21. What would your 21-year-old self tell your high school self now to help ease the way? First of all, my 21-year-old self would give my young self a big hug and just like let him know that like it's going to be okay because I think young me felt so much pressure coming from a family where I was the oldest of five kids. And Mm -hmm. well, at the time it was four kids and my parents were having another baby. And so like, it was very stressful and I just didn't really know what life would look like or what college would be like. And I remember the day my parents dropped me off at college and I was so happy for them to leave because I, I, I was so excited to take on the world on my own. But the moment they left, all I could do was sit on my bed and be like, yo, this is scary. That's so scary. So young me, what if I could go and see young me right now, I'd give him a hug and tell him to be a little less hard on myself, but still keep doing what you're doing because what you're doing, it's not going unnoticed. You're not doing it to merely get acknowledgement from others. You're doing it because you enjoy it and it's stuff that is making impacts on people outside of yourself. And that is something that young me really, really wanted to do, make impacts out of simply helping, which is another reason why I really love medicine and possibly, I'm not sure what I'll be in 10 years, but I, I do think uh, I might still be on my med- medicine journey because healthcare outcomes are a passion of mine. Uh, too many passions, but- uh, <laughs> okay. okay, makes you you. Yeah, I wouldn't tell him too much because I think if I could tell- young me something right now young me would overthink it 
and stress himself out too much. So just a mere hug and telling me, keep doing what you're doing would be enough for me. Mm. Is that what you're grappling with? The, the, the sort of big choices that are on the horizon? Yes. Thankfully, my academic time at Brown, while it was tough in the beginning, I did figure it out. My STEM GPA is a 3.81 for my uh, bio degree. And then my degree for Africana Studies, I do have a 4.0. With those two very different degrees, it's funny because my friends who study humanities, they're always saying, we can't believe you have a whole different degree that has double the amount of concentration requirements as this one. And then my friends who study bio, whenever I'm like, oh, I have to go do this for my other Africana degree. They're like, since when do you have a second one? Because of how separate those two worlds are. Sometimes there's like the humanities rechain and then there's the STEM rechain. So it's kind of like being pulled in two directions or a part of me is like, right now, everything you do needs to be towards medicine. It has to be like, when are you going to do your MCAT? When are you going to go to med school? What type of doctor do you want to be? But then the other side of me is like, okay, I do love medicine, but also music is an interest of mine where I get to work and produce music and make music and help people make music. And then another thing of mine is like, I know medicine, the way medicine in the United States is set up, it doesn't make the type of things I want to do when I get into medicine easy. So I want to help people like myself from areas like Spring Valley, who are usually undocumented and don't have access to the nice healthcare system that like majority or not majority of the United States, but United States citizens who are more privileged have access to. The way to do that is not by going into healthcare itself. The way to do that is going into healthcare policy. Mm. It's like... <laughs> The whole other thing. But we're going to figure it out one day. Well, so I have two thoughts. Hopefully I'll remember both of them. One, I actually want to connect you with uh, Dwayne Gentle. He is finishing med school this year. And I think he's going to have his white coat ceremony in the spring. And like you, uh, he is very connected to his humanities arts self. So I think that that is an important connection that I would I would like to make between the two of you. Um, I think he'll have a lot of really good perspective for you. I think he was episode 30. I did listen to his episode. Yeah. Sometimes I, I, I listen to a couple of them. Usually I'll be doing homework and I'll just play it in the background. I love listening to podcasts in the background. Mm -hmm. And then my other thought was the idea that you felt that these two areas were separate apart from each other, which I get you know, there's compartmentalization that you sometimes have to do in order to have clarity of thinking. But I often feel like there is more connection between disparate concepts than we think. And I think that we separate them because it's it's maybe easier to do so. Like this is this and that's that. But as human beings, we're the sum of all the things that were sum of all of our parts. And if we did put a little more effort into bringing those pieces of our, ourselves together. I feel like we will be a better people yes. in general. <laughs> I believe that. Tell me one thing that you miss about your high school Rishane self. 
And then one thing that's gotten better. What I do miss the most about my young self is how connected I was to culture. I think in order to do well at a PWI, it sometimes requires you to take on more of your professional personality. And a professional personality sometimes means leaving behind those aspects of who make you you. So for so long at Brown, especially the first two years, I found myself not speaking any words of like Patois or any Jamaican vernacular, even some words in French that I would use the Creole version, because I, I do speak a little bit of French from what I learned in high school and middle school. I instead would go for the more formal French versions. Mm. Now that when I thought about that, I was like, you're actively like leaving behind those parts that make you special and make you remember home. But in doing so, here you are in these interviews getting nice internships. You're getting positions. You're getting offered different roles and people like hearing you talk. But at the same time, I felt like I was leaving behind my Jamaican and Spring Valley cultural heritage. I spent a lot of time in Jamaica this summer as my aunt passed from cancer. Rest in peace to my aunt. When I was there and just spending a lot of time with my family, I realized that I don't have to drown myself to make myself feel accepted in spaces. And if the way I say a word simply or the way my sentence structure uses a verb, if you have a problem with that, and it's a reason for why you wouldn't want to talk to me or why you wouldn't give me a role, it probably is not something that is meant for me. And I will find those places and I'll find those people who will love every part of her shade. As I've left behind my cultural part my first two years, I'm on the journey towards being my whole self at all times. You know, I keep thinking about how things change right? How does change happen? And while it is slow, especially the, the change that really needs to happen to make, make things more inclusive and make people better able to contribute the best selves to our society, people have to get in the door. People have to get there to the spaces and places of leadership to develop the relationships at the higher levels in order to filter down the things that maybe weren't there before but can be acceptable, beneficial to that community. Somebody actually brought this up in, a, in an earlier, I think it was uh, Melissa, who, Melissa Denizard, who uh, was just released today, actually. She was talking about her need or her ability now to practice discernment. Mm. And she was talking it from a vulnerability perspective and, you know, boundaries and that kind of thing. But I think it also applies to the choices that we make, the relationships that we have, professional, personal, creating the space that is going to elevate us as humans, as people, and be able to affect the greater community in greater ways, in, in larger ways. Maybe that's just your mission is figuring out how to discern when this piece of you comes through and when this piece of you comes through. And being your authentic self and knowing that sometimes, you know, you have to know your audience. You have to know who you're talking to. We, we all have to do it. 
-hmm. You know, we, we, when I'm, you know, in a room full of students, there are certain things that I just wouldn't say (laughs) that in a more familiar audience, uh, I'd feel more comfortable about letting that part of myself out, so to speak. It is balancing the all parts of me with what what works the best mm-hmm. in this space. This is so delightful. I'm just <laughs> okay. Huh. If you could give a piece, maybe a couple pieces of sage advice to high school students now, what would it be? The world is a lot bigger than you think. Do not think Spring Valley is the only resort for you. Have forward thinking and think about things outside of who you think you are right now or what you think you can achieve and extend that. That's pretty perfect. Just like you. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) So our final question, what are three self-care practices that you do now? to help you to center or regulate yourself? I've started deep breathing. So that is something I actually got from you. I remember uh, in dance, you would teach, was it box breathing? Where you would go, we would breathe, we would start at five and breathe in for five and six and seven. I still do that till this day. I had stopped it for a little bit my freshman year and I actually developed a little bit of anxiety or a great amount of anxiety from just academic stress and social stress and a dean I went to speak with she was just there like have you ever thought about deep breathing and I was like oh it's something I used to do but not anymore so I brought that back and I think my nerves for the most part st- I'm still a very anxious person but in those moments that I feel very stressed, I just go and I start doing it. I don't do it as like, sometimes myself, I don't do it as good structured. as I'm structured, but yeah. it's good. Another thing is I listen to a lot of music now. Um, I think music is a very beautiful and probably one of the most greatest inventions of all time because of how how it allows you to like connect stories of people to yourself and it's kind of crazy that sometimes you can find a song that just says every single thing you want to say but don't know how to say so I've developed a very wide music taste uh mix of a funky music mixed with a little bit of reggae and house Chicago house music so I've been listening to a lot of uh Trinada, Beyonce's album Renaissance a little bit of EDM. I really like music that is overly produced. The vocals are rather than being added after sounding like they were created for the song, the vocals sound like they were created in the song. The lyrics are are the concept and mm-hmm. the sound is built around that. Yes. Yeah. So I've been searching for a lot of those. And the last thing I do for self-care is actively trying to sleep. When my aunt died, sleep became very, very hard for me. I wouldn't dream. And when I did dream, it would be very weird dreams. They wouldn't be scary, but it would just be kind of weird things happening. Like once I just kept on falling and I would never get to the end. I'd like went to a doctor and I was being told, oh, it was because 
when you fall asleep, it's that you're not falling asleep. You're crashing into sleep because you're overly exhausted. So now I've tried to make sure that at least seven hours a night are devoted to sleep. And I think it's helped a lot more because uh, I was having a little bit more of health problems when I wasn't sleeping. I was just tired all the time. I was still getting everything I needed to get done, but it felt like so much more work to get there versus when I actively sleep, even though sometimes I might have to ask for an extension for a day or two, it makes the work that I produce so much more better and feels a lot easier and steady to do. You really have to be intentional about that. Mm -hmm. I have so many students, they walk in like complete zombies and I'm like, what time do you go to sleep at night? Like how long are you looking at your phone? It varies of course. And Sometimes they say, oh, I go to bed at 11 o'clock, but I'm like, what is the quality of your sleep? Mm -hmm. Like, what does that actually look like? Because you're not functioning. You're You're barely functioning. So many people and and college kids too. And my daughter's, you know, up at Binghamton now. And I'm like, please make sure that you're sleeping. It's the chance to reset your brain. You need to get your brain reset every single night. And while, you know, maybe it's not always feasible to get the eight hours, you know, Mm -hmm. that we really do need get close to it and let it be really good sleep. If you're sleeping and you're not having any REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, Mm -hmm. you're not actually sleeping. Your body's, your eyes are just closed. It's during those REM sleep moments that your body has the chance to consolidate memories. It's those moments that your body is actually resting and doing the things that your body's supposed to do. It's those moments that the proteins and all of those things in your body work. So if you're not getting your REM sleep, your body won't work and you will get like me where junior fall, the hard year, I would literally come from the library at 3 a.m. in the morning. I would take my 10 minute walk from the library, brush my teeth, sit on my bed and then wake up at 8 a.m. every morning. But now we don't do that anymore. <laughs> oh, thank <It's> God. <laughs> oh, you're growing up into an adult brain. That's thank God. <laughs> yes. I was actually curious because I know you have a lot of decisions to make, but if you could choose an area or two of medicine where you think you would right now fall into most easily, not easily, but you know, that would fit with you and, and who you are and what you've become, what would that be? So when I was between my sophomore and junior year, I did an internship called the Northwestern Pre-Med Internship Program. And for that summer, I was conducting research while also working at, working at Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago. And that was the most eye-awakening and probably the best thing I could have done for my medicine journey. That was the first summer I learned what a urologist was. And so I I shadowed this doctor. He's one of the best urologists in the world. He is one of the very few people who presidents will let do their rectal exams. Yes, uh, he was telling us how many presidents have or presidents of countries have flown to (laughs) Chicago simply to make sure he's the one who does it. (laughs) So my great-grandfather actually died from prostate cancer and I knew he would go to urologists all the time and 
but he had found his prostate cancer so late that there was barely anything our urologist can do. But through meeting these urologists at Northwestern, I learned that the prostate was actually one of the slowest organs in the body to metastasize. So cancer is very slow spreading there. But I did not know that. And many people don't know that. And I don't know, ever since I learned that, I kind of fell in love with the thought of becoming a urologist. I'm very interested in reproductive health. So I would possibly become a urologist and do these procedures that make people do the simple act of being able to pee, but also urologists can be multi-specialized. So I would probably want to do a fellowship in maybe reproductive medicine or in oncology, something that I can do more than just make people pee, but also do IVF. The lab I work in, the Wessel lab, we do reproductive biology and I'm currently working on my thesis in biology. Previously, I used to work on fertilization of sea urchin embryos and seeing what happens during this, the fertilization process when you treat the, the urchin eggs or the sperm with different drugs, but not drugs like nicotine or anything like that, more so like more scientific drugs that have to do with things that are natural in your body. If you have too much sodium, what that does to the urchin embryos. And I never got to the point where I was able to extend that to see if the same thing would work in human reproductive organs, but in learning about it in sea urchins, it was very cool. So that's just the base level experience, but if it gives you a sense of like, what's, what are next steps? you will put yourself into the position to be able to study it on the human level. So it's so exciting. <laughs> it's so exciting that you're exploring all of these things and figuring out like, you know, what your next steps are. And I know it, it you know, that it's scary. Like people who are your age, first, like five years of their twenties, you know, they're just literally trying to figure out how to grow up and adults because college kind of is in the background in the past. And now you're like, Oh, well now what? So you have a lot of big things to consider and to go through. It's all so exciting. And one last good thing, but I recently two days ago found out that I got nominated to submit a speech to speak at commencement. (gasps) Oh my God. Yes. Congratulations. To even be nominated just feels like I honestly thought it was a joke when I got the email, but... Do you know who nominated you? No, but uh, as someone who aimed to nominate someone last year and opened the application and saw it was like five pages long and decided not to nominate the person anymore, (laughs) whoever did nominate it, thank you. Well, congratulations. Whoever did the nomination, good pick. You chose well. Roshane... Thank you for coming out of your busy end of semester schedule and talking to me. I want that paper. Yes. I'm about to send it to you right away. Okay. (laughs) I've already completed all my graduation requirements for biology because I did five classes a couple of times and Mm -hmm. just overcommitted. But it means next semester, 
all I have to do is actually register for classes. I could go to zero classes. I could fail every single class and I will still graduate. Yeah, but you're not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, but you can take classes that you wouldn't otherwise think mm-hmm. to take, you know, because you had to do all the the required credits. But have you taken acting class or, you know, I'm sure you've taken dance. I've taken dance. I think I'm, I am registered for an active acting course. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. One class I will not be taking though is a music theory course. Music theory is probably, uh, it's harder than orgo. And if anybody says it's not, that's a lie. I've taken orgo one, two, biochemistry, and music theory made me do more work in five weeks than any of those courses ever did. <laughs> It's true. There's a lot of information in music theory. <laughs> Especially when you get to the scales, you're like, how many more scales can there be? <laughs> That's right. There are, well, it's like all the permutations of math. It's just, mm-hmm. it's all math. I have a very, very cursory understanding of music theory. I never took the class. I was like, nope. Thank you. I'll just sing. <laughs> you did a great job at the singing. Thank you. I think this closes out our mm-hmm. amazing chat about Rashane Dunn, a truly, truly stellar individual. Thank you once again, Rashane, for joining me. Tune in next week for episode 38 of Change for the Better, The Power of Arts in Education.